All right, so we are on week three of Be Still and Know. And uh, my prayer and my hope has been uh, that the, the Holy Spirit has been um, working on your heart, uh, working in your lives through this series. I know he's certainly been working in, in my life. Um, and I'm just so, I, I just was, this morning I was walking and I was, I was talking to the Lord and I just told him, God, I am so thankful for how gracious the Holy Spirit has been in my life. And I'm so thankful for the way that he moves on the lives of the people in this body. And I believe that as we gather together each week and we purpose to lean in and that we are intentional in our growth in him, I believe it's sort of like um, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When we, when we gather together uh, and, we, and we purpose to learn and we purpose to grow, grow in him. And so uh, what a fantastic opportunity uh, to, to, to dive in this morning. Uh, and I'm really trusting the Lord as we close out, as we close out this series. Uh, on week one, uh, I really spent quite a bit of time unpackaging the uh, understanding of this concept that I believe is super essential to the believer. And that is that this world is not your home. This world is not your home. And I believe that understanding that and cultivating a mindset, cultivating that, that concept in your walk as a believer will help you navigate through some of the most challenging experiences that you will have. It helps with your perspective. It helps when you are navigating through successful things and challenging things, everything around to understand that the end result of your life is not the culmination of the things and successes and the riches that you have built here on this earth. There is an eternity at hand. This world is not your home. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been given the right to have citizenship in the kingdom of God. If you are a believer, you have the right to have citizenship in the kingdom of God. And of all the benefits of being a part of the kingdom of God, the very best benefit that we've been given is access to the king. Access to the king, the God of the universe, the God who created everything we see. Now, if the world is going to be destroyed, which it will be, and you have the kingdom of God that's going to last for eternity, which side do you want to be on? Probably the side of eternity. At least I would hope you would want to be on the side of eternity and serving this, this wonderful, incredible king. And so we have been coming out of Psalm 46, and we realize that the context within Psalm 46 is actually the concept of war. It's coming from the context, rather, of war. And we are at war. We are at war in this world, but we're not at war against each other. We're not at war against people. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that we are at war against the spiritual forces of this dark world world. 
The weapons of our warfare, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, is not the same weapons that the world uses, but we have a different arsenal that we pull from. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 6, we're actually told about an armor that we wear in the war uh, that, that we're in. The armor of God consists of a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the shoes that are to be the gospel of peace. All of these things so that we may quench the fiery darts of the evil one, the things that come at us that are not of truth. But we're also given this sword. And the sword is the word of God. It is the, it is the truth about the things that we see, the things we hear. It is the truth. But as I was reading and studying this week and looking in Ephesians 6, I do not believe that the sword of truth is meant for us to go out to the world and prove them wrong and start slashing people to death. In fact, in the context with which it's written, the sword of truth is actually to help you defend the lies that come your way. It's, 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 it's allowing you the ability to cut through the, the, the lies that come and try to mold and affect your life. And knowing how to use the sword is very important because we live in a foreign land and we need the Holy Spirit. Knowing the word of God and understanding when to apply it are two different things. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to help us understand how to activate the word of God in our lives. It is essential, believers, if you're a believer in this room, it is essential for you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Just a little bit ago when we were in worship, Pastor Jonathan stopped for a second and you noticed that we had just a moment that seemed like a lull in a way. It was a, an instrumental break, you could, you, could, you could call it. In that moment, it was so right and spot on because Pastor Jonathan was sensing that the Holy Spirit was telling us to wait, to wait. Waiting is something that we are not accustomed to. Waiting is something that we do not tap into. Those who wait on the Lord will what? They will renew their strength. Is anybody in here this morning weak? Is anybody in here experiencing weakness in any area? The Bible tells us if we will wait on the Lord, we will renew our strength. Well, if we're renewing our strength, if it's a process of renewal, it means that the strength was there once before. Renewing means that you are drawing, you're, you're in a place of weakness and you're drawing from a place of what you used to know as strength. Now to wait on the Lord means that you must have had somewhere around the way, must have gotten away or off kilter from the Lord, but to wait on him to come and to render strength will give you everything that you need in the midst of your battle. You are in a war and you need the Holy Spirit's help. You need the Holy Spirit's help. I had a hard week this week. I needed the strength of the Lord. If I wait on the Lord, he renews my strength. If I wait on the Lord, he renews my strength. Having access to the king also gives us access to his favor. His favor, I believe, is not uh, like you would think the favor of the world would be. The favor of the world would talk about big, large bank accounts, accounts and mansions and cars and all of these things, all of this stuff that really leads to nothing in the end. But God's great 
favor in our life is about protection. It's about provision in the time of need. And it is about his great peace in our lives, his great peace in our lives. And so because of, uh, of, of, of us having access to God, we can win his great favor when we live a life of righteousness, when we live our lives in righteous ways. And I don't know about you, but I struggle living in righteousness apart from the Holy Spirit. I need his help. My flesh wants to do everything that I'm not supposed to do. Is that, any, is that just me? My flesh wants to go in places and look at things and say things that are totally against what the kingdom of God promotes and what the truth of the Bible says. All of those things. I want to do those things. But the Holy Spirit gives me the strength and the desire to follow those things. And when I follow those things, I receive God's great favor. And let me tell you, it feels good to be protected. It, it, it feels good to know that all of my needs are met. And let me tell you something. And if you haven't experienced it, let me tell you, you're in for a treat when you tap into it. But there is nothing better than God's great peace in your life. God's great peace. This world is a ball of chaos, but your life doesn't have to be. Your life does not have to be chaotic. You can have God's peace in your life. And so as we are together in the army of the Lord, as soldiers in his kingdom, would you stand with me? We're going to read once more from the book of Psalm chapter 46, and we're going to read it with gusto as if you were, as if you were uh, shouting it like you believe it. Here we go. Let's do it. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And Father, I thank you that you are our commander in chief. I thank you that you are uh, our God and our Lord and our Savior. And I thank you for this very wonderful, incredible, true word that you've given us. And I ask, Lord, that you would help our hearts to be pliable this morning. And Father, I speak over the people under the sound of my voice. I ask, Lord, that we would be able to grab a hold of your supernatural peace in this chaotic world. We love you today and we acknowledge you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You notice I didn't make you pray today. Lord, 
expose all of my sin to everyone. <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't pray that today. Uh, uh, but I hope that you have an active prayer life with the Lord. I hope that your life is an active dialogue with the Lord. I hope that the only encounter that you have with the Lord is not Sunday to Sunday because he is so rich in mercy and grace and has much to say to you. With Psalm 46 being in the context, being written in the context of war and acknowledging God as our commander in chief of our army, He has given us a certain arsenal of weaponry to use in the world. But before we talk just briefly about the weaponry that we're to use uh, and how we're we're to use it, we must understand what the battle is that we're out there fighting. What is it that we're out there actually fighting against? God has not called us to go out into the world and take the the highlight issue of the world and try to beat it down and prove to the world that they're wrong, that the world is wrong, that the world's thought process is wrong. God Almighty, because of Jesus Christ, has given us a window in space and time for people, broken, feeble, weak, sinful people, to have an opportunity to be grafted into his kingdom. And he uses his people, those who have acknowledged him, the citizens, the active citizens in his kingdom. He uses us to go out into the world and offer the world something that they do not have. We are are told in the word, word that they will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love. And we will change people's lives by the way that we live our lives. We're not going to change people's lives by going out and beating them upside the head with the word. You know, it's crazy to me. Sometimes we get so angry at non-believers for not living biblical standards. And I don't understand why we tie the expectation of living biblical, uh, to a biblical standard to non-believers. That doesn't make any sense. You understand that? Why would I, if I'm not a believer and I don't ascribe to know the Lord, I'm not a citizen of the kingdom, why would I then be held to the biblical expectation? We are held to the biblical expectation because we understand the freedom that it comes with. And so we choose voluntarily, we choose consciously, we choose intentionally to live out this truth in our lives. And what happens while we, uh, while we live that truth is we understand that the weapons of our warfare are not the same. And so we start to draw out of this arsenal that doesn't really make any sense in the world. The weapon of forgiveness. What? (laughs) The weapon of patience. Have you lost your mind? The weapon of love. And you're like, that seems so soft. That seems so soft, but in the end, you know that it was a love of an all-powerful, mighty God that saved your life. It is a powerful weapon. But one of the other things that we have as we live our life is we have peace. We have peace in our lives. In this chaotic world, what a wonderful thing it is to meet people who have a chaotic life and they look at you and they say, you seem so much at peace despite all of the circumstances around us. 
Or let there be a situation in your life where things should rattle you and shake you and you're able to rock with a peace that passes understanding and the world looks at you and says, I don't understand why you're not striving so hard to fix this issue. And the peace that we're able to walk in encourages us and gives us a foundation to say, I don't need to do anything more but stand still because my God has got this. My God understands this much more than I could ever understand. If this God that I served allowed me to go in it, he will then surely take me through it to the very end. He's got a purpose, and it is, his purpose is higher than my thoughts. His will is higher than my thoughts. And guess what? If I have to sacrifice along the way, I count it all joy because I get to sacrifice for my king. He has a peace that passes all understanding. And guess what, friends? You have access to it. You have access to this peace. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that God has exalted Jesus above every other name on the earth. And at the end of time, between today and the time when Jesus splits the sky, there's coming a point, and the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And here's the thing, friends. You're either going to do that voluntarily or you're going to do it by mandate. But one way or the other, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. And if you will do it voluntarily, if you will make the, the, the intentional decision to say, I'm going to in this lifetime, in this span, to bow my knee and to confess him as Lord, he will assuredly give you a peace and he will begin to use you in the battlefield that is the world. And he will use you in a powerful way. God is so faithful and he is so good. We experience in our lives cyclical patterns. Have you ever noticed a pattern? Have you ever looked? Let's, let's not make it about ourselves because you know, we don't ever do anything wrong, but let's look at somebody else. And have you ever looked at somebody and say, man, there is a definite pattern established in their life. X and Y happens, and I can just look up, and in a few days, Z is coming right down Right down the, 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 the. So, so we're able to easily recognize patterns in other people's lives. Let's look at this. Which is missing in the pattern? What is it? Green what? Square. Green square. If you say green square, you are correct. Give yourself a round of applause. Well done. Okay. Which is missing? You notice what's happening right now? We're having, we're arguing about the color of the, is it magenta? Is it purple? Is it chartreuse? I mean, we can't even solve simple things, people. We make it so complicated. Which one's missing? What is it? Say it louder. If you said white star, you're correct. White star. See how simple this is? 
how simple it is to recognize patterns in other people's life. Here's your life. When it comes to your life, it takes some time to figure out some stuff. Let me tell you, it takes time to figure out the pattern of our, our lives. But other people look at you and they can see the pattern so very clear. And it's one of the reasons why we need other people in our lives. So that they can say, I see an established pattern happening that you do not see. And if you will open your eyes to this pattern, then you will allow yourself the opportunity to solve some things before your peace is stolen. It is never fun to be disciplined. Does anybody like to be disciplined? Anybody? No. And I have to tell you, as a parent, it's not very much fun doing the disciplining. But just because it's not fun doing it and it's not fun receiving it doesn't mean that it's not necessary. God, in his great love for us, disciplines us. He trains us. He teaches us. And what he disciplines out of us are these patterns that lead to destruction. And if we get on a pattern with God as opposed to opposing God, we will find that the benefit is great peace in him. Great peace in him. Living your life without the Lord will create a pattern of chaos. Living your life without the Lord will create a pattern of chaos. Here's the problem, church. So many of us have become so familiar and accustomed to chaos that we don't know what peace really looks like. And not only have we become so accustomed to chaos and trying to fit into the pattern of chaos, that when we look at somebody else who seems to have a bit of peace going on, we try to invite them into our chaos instead of understanding a little bit more about why they have peace. Anytime you're away from the Lord, it's chaotic. Now, look, think of somebody in your life who has been, or you, think of yourself when you're away from the Lord. I just feel so good. Yeah, for a moment. Until that hangover. Yeah, for a moment, right? For a moment. Until the hurt comes. The world is in a perpetual state of chaos. We serve a God of order. This is what God says when we, because here's the thing, we live in a world that has all of this stuff going on that could cause us as humans to grow anxious. And this is what the word says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. There is a peace that transcends all understanding. 
in this world that is not our home. But the problem is, is that we have to deal with people. People, 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 people. Kevin, I would have peace if I didn't have to talk to them. I would have peace if I didn't have to live with her. I would have peace if they would just get their act together. All the while, you're the problem. God doesn't stir up strife, people do. And so many times we will come and we will ask God, we'll cry out to God and say, God, why am I in the middle of this chaos? What's going on? As if he came into our life and said, I'm just going to make you so bad and so strong. He does not. God gives peace. God gives peace. But if you're, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not, and I say this with such humility, okay? I do not connect myself. I do not run with people who cause strife. I am looking for indicators. If you are a gossip, I try my best to separate my life from you. Okay? If you are talking bad about people, if you are, if you're not doing what, what just overtly what the word says against it, I try my best to distance myself from you. Because here's the thing. In my flesh, I have the propensity, as Justin would say, to go in those negative behaviors. The pattern of my flesh says, oh, that gossip sounds good. Let me just walk right up in there and join that. My flesh says, I really like what's going on. Let me just join up in and connect with that. And so, and I'm not a perfect person. I hope that there are people in my life that have to back. If I get into a rut and a pattern starts, I hope they step back because I don't want to influence them. But what that does, because I'm not connected closely to them, it gives me the opportunity to come in with strength and peace and love them in the midst of the pattern that they're going through, as opposed to joining their pattern and joining their path of destruction. Are you with me? Proverbs 16, 28 says, a dishonest man stirs spreads strife, a whisperer separates close friends. You know what a whisperer is, right? Separating close friends. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. When there have been seasons when I have not been at peace, and it is very difficult for me to love. When I don't have peace, it's very difficult for me to choose love. There are actual people, probably, hopefully not in this room, but probably so, odds are so, there are people who enjoy conflict. You ever met one of those people? Seems like every time you speak to them or you're, they're, they're in the middle of a conflict, it's a stronghold in their life and they need peace. They need to be delivered from that so that they can have peace. But the problem is, is that they try to solve it using worldly methods. Can I tell you something? The world cannot manufacture peace. The world cannot manufacture peace. The best it can do is give you momentary satisfaction. And even that leaves you feeling empty inside. Peace comes from the Lord. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. Jesus said before he left, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so Jesus gives us this gift of peace and he encourages us 
to live in that great peace. And so we've been talking over the last few weeks about the Israelites who were God's people. Do you know that you're also God's people? And if you read the thick part of the Bible, you probably will find some parallels between our lives and their lives. But here's the pattern. We're talking about, we've been talking about patterns this morning. Here's the pattern of the Israelites. Sin, God's favor removed. They cry out to the Lord. They repent. The favor's restored. And then they have peace. Does that sound like any of your lives? Do you know that you could break the cycle and the pattern today? You do not have to have that pattern. Your pattern of your life could be a perpetual state of peace. With the Holy Spirit's help, you could have a perpetual state of peace. You do not have to have that pattern in your lives. We can choose peace. And so we are gonna look this morning at another story about the Israelites in the book of Judges, chapter six. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. In the book of Judges, chapter six, let me give you just a quick, get us catch up to where we are in the point of time. Joshua, they uh, defeated, uh, they finally defeated Ai. Remember Achan's sin and the favor of God was removed and Ai had to die. And he died and the favor of God came back and Ai was destroyed. And they go through and they start to work their way through the promised land, encountering armies and, and defeating them. Joshua dies and then the Lord raises up judges to lead the, Israel, the Israelites, to lead God's people. But what happens is, is they begin this perpetual pattern up here of sin, the favor of God being removed, the crying out to God, the repentance, the favor being restored, and then peace. There would be peace in the land. So God would raise up these judges, and they would go and they would fight valiantly because the Israelites had decided to follow God, to, try to, 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 to live righteous lives. And so right prior to Judges 6, once again, just as the cycle continues, Deborah came on the scene. Deborah led uh, valiantly and, and defeated, uh, defeated the Israelites' uh, enemies. And 40 years, there, were pe there was peace in the land. And then Israel sinned again. Israel sinned again. And so when we, when we uh, catch up with Gideon here, in chapter six, the Bible says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord for seven years, and he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And the oppression was so hard that they began to live in clefts of rocks and in caves, and they had to hide out. They had to hide their lives because the Midianite oppression was so, so big. And down in verse six, it says this, Midian was so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I want to tell you that God will allow your life to become impoverished to get you to a point where you will cry out to him. He will allow defeat to happen in your life if you belong to him, if you're a citizen of heaven, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you belong to him, you are his people. And you begin to live in, not, in an unrighteous lifestyle, he will allow things to happen in your life that cause you to want, to desire, to either die or cry out to him. And so God's people cry out to him. And so when they cry out to him, 
God comes and he reminds them of who he is and what he has done. The very first thing God's gonna do in your life is to remind you who he is and what he has done. He's not gonna come to you and say, oh, let me tell you what good things have come out of your life. Let me tell you how good you are, James, and how wonderful of a X, Y, and Z. No, he says, I am God. I'm gonna be exalted in this situation. I need you to remember this is who I am and this is what I have done. And he comes to the Israelites and he says those things and then he visits a man named Gideon. And we find Gideon, we don't know much about Gideon prior to this encounter, but he finds Gideon, he says he's threshing wheat inside a wine press. Now, threshing wheat is usually done above land, so the chaff blows away and the grains fall to the ground, but he is hidden inside this wine press, and he's hidden down in there uh, doing this because he's afraid of the Midianites. He's afraid of what they're going to do. And God appears to him and he says this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I wonder what it is like to be in a situation where you are fearing for your life, where the favor of the Lord seems to be removed and God appears to you and he calls out in you what's been in you and what is in you because God does not see you like your circumstances see you. God sees you as he has called you and how he's, who he's created you to be. And so he sees in Gideon a warrior and he says, I am with you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so Gideon hears this and he immediately goes into, pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of these things happened to us? If, if, if you are truly the God of our ancestors and the God of, 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 of the deliverance and all these things, where have you been? Why have you not shown yourself faithful? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon said, how can I save Israel? I am, I am of the weakest clan and I am the least in my family. Now we see a pattern here with the Lord all throughout scripture. God does not go to the valiant and strong to accomplish his purposes. He usually finds those who are weak and those who do not make sense for the job. He really does. God's crew is a motley crew. And he uses those people in mighty ways because be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so, and so he, he says, I am, I am weak. And, and Gideon says, okay, if you're really God and I found favor in your eyes, basically says, prove it to me. And so he goes and he grabs an offering, gets an offering for the altar and he puts it in there and the angel of the Lord touches it. It burns to flame and the angel disappears and Gideon is afraid. Let me tell you something. If you think you're afraid of your circumstances in your life, come face to face to the creator of the universe. That's where real fear happens. That's where real fear can happen. But he's there and he sees them. And he's like, I, he's so feared to the point of, I've seen God, I'm, I'm going to die. And God speaks this word, this word over his life. He says, Gideon, peace, peace, peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. 
peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. I wonder what type of encouragement that was for Gideon to hear the Lord say peace over his circumstance, over his doubt, over his fear. And so it continues. And, uh, and, and after that, God says, after he says peace, he says, I want you to go into your house and I want you to break down the altars of the, the, the idols in your house. I want you to break them down. Listen, here's the thing. The word of the Lord can come to you and commission you with something. He's not going to send you out anywhere until you take care of what's going on in the home front. The first place he's going to address is what's going on in your life. So many of us are real good at shooting off of the mouth of what everybody else needs to be doing, what everybody else needs to change, and we aren't addressing anything going on in our house. And let me tell you something. If you've got disruption, if you've got chaos going on in your house, you have no business saying anything else to anybody else. And in fact, I would go as far as saying it's probably not the Lord. It's probably not the Lord. If you've got chaos going in your life because you're not taking care of the idols and the things in your life, if there's not peace in your own house, you can't expect to have peace everywhere else. And so he says, Gideon, knock down those, those, uh, those idols and build them back up as an altar unto the Lord. And so they come out, they find out the next morning he's done this who has done this, Joash, Gideon's dad, comes out and says, it's Gideon, but let me tell you something. If this God is really who he says is, if Baal is really who he says he is, he can fight his own battle. And so they back off and they say, yeah, Baal will take care of Gideon, but Baal had nothing on the eternal God. And so once that happened, Gideon, uh, Gideon goes up and, and, and what happens next is he says, God, if you really are who you are, I'm going and you're going to do who, what you've told me you're going to do, then I'm going to lay a fleece out before you. You've heard in Christianese, people say, I'm gonna throw a fleece to the Lord or lay a fleece before the Lord. Okay, this is where that comes from. He says, I'm gonna place a fleece uh, out before you. And in the morning, if you, would, if you would make all the land dry and the fleece wet, then I will know that what you said is what you really said. And so he wakes up the next morning and it's exactly as he says. And then he says, ooh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that wasn't exactly you, Lord. Let's change it up. How about this time, if the fleece is dry and the ground around it is wet, then it's you, God, okay? The next day he wakes up, it's exactly as he says. There comes a point, there comes a point when what God says is so plain and clear that your only choice is disobedience or obedience. And so in this moment, God is meeting Gideon at every moment with peace, with more peace, with more peace to go out and what he does. So he goes out and blows a trumpet. He brings all the people in and 32,000 fighting men go. Let me tell you something. The world's thought process is you can do big things, great things with big numbers, right? He calls out 32,000 men. We're about to do some damage, man. I know, let me tell you, the, the fleece was dry. Let's go get them. And God says, you got too many people in your army. 
Some of you have too many people in your army. Somebody, has, somebody in this room has too many voices in your, in your battle. Some of you have too many things at your disposal. Some of you are in places in your life, the reason you don't have peace is because you're fighting with too many obstacles in your way. You're fighting with too many things and God is saying, I'm not gonna get any credit if you win the battle with the things that you've come up with. He has never asked us to do the things in our own strength. He's never asked us to do it in our own strength. So guess what? This is crazy. He goes to 32,000 men and says, if you're afraid, you can go home. 22,000 people say, see you later. 22,000, 22,000. 10,000 remain. Okay, I can do stuff with 10,000, it's great. God says, you've got too many people in your army. And he says, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna weed them out. I want you to take them down to get something to drink. And when you get them down there to get something to drink, they're gonna be some that kneel and some that lap it with, like a dog, uh, lap the water like a dog. And those who lap the water, I'm gonna keep with you. Okay? So Gideon's, I'm sure Gideon's like, man, I hope you guys will. Stand up, stand up, stand up. <laughs> 9,700 people leave. 300 people. Now, I'm talking about a guy who's in a wine press who says, I'm the weakest. I'm the part of the weakest clan. I'm the youngest. And you're going to go out with 300. What is the old saying? It's like going out to like a, 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 a fist match with a, or a, a gunfight with a, I don't know the saying, a gunfight with a, with a rock or something, you know, making it up, okay, as I go, all right? So, so. That works, right? Gunfight with a rock? That works, sure. All right. So, and so he goes out there and he's got 300 men. And let me tell you about the graciousness of our God. Come on out here, worshiping. Let me tell you about the graciousness of our, graciousness of our God. He's been told that he's going to be victorious with the 300 fighting men. And he says to Gideon, if you're still afraid... If you're still afraid, go with your, with your shoulder companion, go down, and I'm going to confirm to you that I'm going to be victorious in this day. And he goes down, and at the moment he goes down, one of the enemy is talking to another person. He says, I had a dream. It was like a barley loaf rolling down, rolling down the, the way, and, it's, and they defeated us. And the other guy says, that must be no one else but Gideon. Clearer than clear, than clear, than clear, than clear. And so Gideon goes and he fights the people and he's victorious. And uh, he's, he's victorious. It boosts his confidence. But all along the way in Gideon's life, what was happening was God was nudging him along and increasing his peace. He was increasing his peace now, I know that there are people that would probably get up and say, okay, you know, you're not supposed to test the Lord your God. I don't know that that was Gideon's heart posture. I think God was saying, I see something in you that I want to call out, and I want to build your faith, because if I build your faith and you are obedient to me, then not only will my favor spill out on you, but it will also spill out on my people. And if you, Gideon, can go in the peace that I've given you, then the people around you will also have peace. And then at the end of the victory, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, 
you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Rule over you. Sometimes God is going to raise peculiar people up because at the end of the day, he knows that that person's going to get to the point that says, the Lord will rule over you. Not man, but the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Guys, do you trust him this morning? Do you trust him with your life? He says, be still and know that I am God. I'm gonna be exalted in the nations. That's a fact. I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna be exalted in the world. That, that, that's not going to change. And I don't know about you, but there's something in my life, something in my being, that when I come under authority, when I come under the understanding that God is sovereign and he is supreme, there is something that's inside me that just wells up and it is peace. It is peace. Have you ever been under such a covering? I was laying with Hadassah in the bed uh, a few weeks ago and I was cuddling with her and she took my arm and she pulled it tighter and she said, Daddy, I feel safe when you are with me. Guys, you can be at peace when you are with the Lord. He has great peace for you. The thing I love most about Gideon's story, and I'm closing here. You can actually stand. The thing I, the thing I, the thing I love most about Gideon's story is I think that the way it's written gives a very authentic human understanding of us. I think any of us would be a Gideon and I think that um, uh, many of us would be in a place where we want the peace of the Lord in our lives, but the pattern of things around us, it just doesn't seem like God is moving on our behalf. It doesn't seem like God is for us. Gideon was seven years in and the pattern was just of one that said, I don't know, God, are you really who you say you are? And I would have to imagine in a room this size that there are people that you have just maybe been through a circumstance or maybe you've been through a problem or maybe you've been through something that you need God to come in and reveal himself to you. And I think that our God is so gracious. I believe our God is so gracious that you might have to throw something out to him and say, God, if you're really real in this situation, would you do this? Would you show me this? But here's the thing. If you're gonna ask the question, you better expect an answer. And you better expect to be ready to do something with the answer. He wants to render peace to you. The world is chaotic, but we have a God who is sovereign and he loves us. He loves you. And you can rest under his banner of love. You can trust his protection. You can trust his provision. And you surely can trust his peace. And so this morning, if you are needing peace in a situation in your life, don't leave here with chaos and with, with things going on and, and confusion and strife. Come this morning and encounter God and allow him to give you a peace that passes all understanding. 
anything that you've ever imagined this morning. Christ, he is our firm foundation. Let's sing. If you're gonna, if you would come, if you're leaders, would you come? And let's agree with some people this morning. If you need to come and ask somebody to pray over you for peace, you come.